Shouldn't be any surprise to most of you that we are turning to the book of Romans, returning to the book of Romans this morning. We started our study in Romans several months ago now. Uh, I don't know how much you are in knowledge of this particular book. It is a, it's a, it's a, it's a book that is just full of all kinds of golden nuggets that God has given to us. And sometimes you have to dig a little bit to find those. Uh, but they sure happen to be there. It's a book that's all about theology. And I've shared with you before that there's some people that think the theology today is just kind of a dirty word, that the theologians have done nothing but cloudy the water by coming up with all kinds of ideas and things like that. The only thing we need is the Bible and the Bible only and, and that sort of thing. Uh, but the fact of the matter is everyone has, has a theology. And the question, however, comes, is yours a good theology or is it a bad theology? It's very easy to have a bad theology. It's probably more difficult to have a good one. Because to have a good one means that you have to dig into it. You have to learn. You have to grow. You have to stretch yourself. Uh, and that sort of thing. And th that's what Paul is doing for these people in Rome. They're, they're faithful Christians. If you think back to the beginning of the book, uh, Paul is very complimentary of them because their faith is so great. And just remember that this church in Rome is undergoing a good deal of persecution. It's a very good likelihood that Nero is actually the emperor now of Rome. And we know how he treated Christians. So we need to understand that he's writing to a church that is in great distress because of persecution that's coming its way. But what he's doing in this book is encouraging them to have a better understanding of some very fundamental things. You're going to find that there are a number of golden threads that run through this whole book that kind of hold it together. One of those that we're going to talk about this morning is what's called justification. Now, some people believe that that is just some theological word that some theologian pulled out of his hat. It's not. It's a biblical word. To be justified simply means to be declared, to be declared as righteous. And what does righteous mean? What does righteousness mean? It means to be perfect in goodness. And rightness. One of the major points, primary points that Paul has driven home about this already is that those who are truly justified are not justified as a result of good works on their part. They're justified because they have been declared just. They've been declared righteous. Not because of their goodness and their own personal righteousness. But because through their faith in Jesus Christ, his righteousness has been reckoned to them. 
as we said before, righteousness is the key that opens the, the door to heaven. No one will ever enter it without having this key of righteousness. We also understand that the Bible very clearly teaches, and we only have to look at our own heart, examine ourselves just a little bit to understand this, that there is none perfectly righteous among us of their own doing. What is absolutely necessary is this, as we know this, if you have discerned your heart, truly discerned your heart, you know that there is an evil that lives in you. You may have been a believer now for many, many years. And every now and then, at least, you will see this angry beast in you raise its nasty head. And you will do things, you will say things that you probably thought you never would ever do or say again. That beast is sin. It's still in you. It's still breathing and living in you. Sometimes it guides you in what you do and what you think and what you say. I want to assure you that even though you see yourself in that light, God is no fool. And he knows everything that you think. He sees everything that you do. Nothing gets past him. He sees all of it. But in spite of that, because by grace he has given you the faith to believe it, the righteousness of Jesus Christ has been reckoned unto you. That in the eyes of God, he sees you through the righteousness of Christ. That ought to be a great encouragement to me, or to all of us. What we're saying here, guys, is this, is even though God knows us, and let's, let's say God knows us far better than we do, he knows you far better than you know yourself. He knows when you're sinning. He knows when you've been bad or good. Far better than you do. He reads your heart. But what I'm telling today is this. Even though that is true, because of the faith, and remember that, Jesus, that, that, that Paul has used Abraham and, and, and King David to demonstrate this, that the, the, the people that are saved, they've always been saved by their faith, not by their own good doing. Their faith in God. Now, we've been given a lot. We have a lot more advantages than even the people that, uh, that Paul was writing to in the book of Romans because they had partial parts of the New Testament maybe at that time. But it wasn't written down in these books as we have them today. We have a greater advantage than even they had. To know what the will of God is in every way. It's one of the things Paul argued back in chapter 3. But one of the greatest blessings the church has is the Word of God. 
before us, available to us. And we need to take the most advantage of it as we possibly can. I want you to understand something, that the heart, this idea of justification by faith is the very heart of the gospel itself. It is absolutely critical to the gospel. If you take it away, there is no gospel. And I want to encourage you to understand this, that if indeed your faith truly rests in Jesus Christ, then your sins, every sin that you have ever committed up to this point, every sin that you'll commit today, and every sin that you will commit in the future has already been atoned for. Jesus has done that for you. Already. Paul writes in chapter 5, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into His grace, in which we stand and we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we, are also, we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope, and hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we, ha- we have now received the reconciliation. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. See, there are certain advantages that are granted to us as believers. One of those is peace. Peace with God. You need to understand something that uh, one of the things that's required, or you know, if you look at this at the surface, there's some underlying truths that you need to glean. And one of those is this, and that is, uh, if you haven't been justified by faith, then you're at war with God. You're not at peace with God. See, this is one of the great values, one of the great gifts that God gives us in our justification is now we are at peace with Him. 
before we were at war. How much do you love peace? How much do you long for peace? Do you see peace in this world around us? We see a peace that it, a world that's at peace. Is that something new? There's all kinds of strife and warring and fighting and this and inviting and this, that, and the other going on today. Is that something new to the human race? There's a sense in which the history of the human of humankind is the history of war. And how often when we were studying history when we were in, in, in school were we talking about this war or that war? Kind of the stepping stones to carry you all the way through the history of the human race. Not at peace, but at war. And let me tell you, to be a Christian means a lot of things. And one of those is relief. And one of those reliefs is I'm no longer at war with God. Jesus is the key. The Prince of Peace. He came into this world for a lot of reasons. But one of those reasons was to bring peace, not to all people, but peace to those who would trust and believe on him. I hope you understand that. I hope, hope that as you become a believer over the years, that, you, that, that there, you have a sense of peace about you that you look around and other people just don't have. Other people very often are reacting spontaneously to circumstances over and over again. We know that the God that we worship, the God that we serve is actually the God of circumstances. He makes circumstances. They don't come apart from his perfect will and purpose. Every circumstance comes as he wills it will. That we live in a world that is in turmoil. I mean, it's obvious from the history of the world. You see it today. Just look at the political realm. Would you describe it as stable and, and loving, you know, between people and this, that, and the other? I don't think anybody in the right mind would describe it that way. There's no peace there. But the fact of the matter is every human heart longs for peace. There's only one place to find it. There's only one place where you can really find peace in this world that is everything but peace. And that's in Jesus Christ. This is one of the advantages. This is one of the reasons that word is on the wall behind me. It is on the wall behind me, right? Didn't peace, one of those words up there. How often do you think about it? Do you like peace? I don't know about you, but I love peace. Peace is very appealing to me. I want as much peace as I can possibly get. Peace. I, I hate conflict. I really do. One of the things as a pastor that is very disturbing is sometimes I have to deal with conflict. And I hate it. If you want to do me a big favor, 
never ever do anything that's going to draw me into conflict because let me tell you I hate it I hate it I abhor it but on occasion I have to deal with it we're not a perfect body here there aren't perfect people in this room that means that on occasion at least on occasion there's going to be conflict in this body the question comes down to what are we going to do when it comes are we going to deal with it in a manner that just causes more conflict are we going to deal with it in a manner that causes growth for everyone and reestablishes peace you can imagine it's a fine art to doing that but one of the most important things we have to remember when it comes to dealing with conflict is this is we're told to deal with conflict right Jesus tells us to do that in particular conflict within the church Matthew chapter 18 that there's a right way to deal with it and there's a wrong way to deal with it and unfortunately very often church people do it the wrong way they do it in a worldly way very often the church comes across as condemning other people for being sinners projecting the idea that look what you did I would never do that I could never do that You understand the Bible picture is really more this is the only reason you haven't done that is because God has restrained you from doing it let me tell you every person in this room is fully capable of bringing conflict that would blow this church apart every one of us no exceptions we have the capability of, of doing that. But conflict is going to come because we're all yet sinners. So it comes down to this. Are we going to deal with it in a way that creates more conflict? Are we going to deal with it in a way that brings And the only time it's going to bring peace, bring peace is if we do it God's way. Not our own way, not the way we think it ought to be done, or what we think is fair and right and this, that, and the other, but the way, what, what does God say about it? I've had people come to me year after year after year. When I was a, a new pastor, I really believed that one of my big responsibilities was to deal with all, any conflict that came my way and get everything straightened out. That was my job, part of my job description. And I used to try to be Mr. Fixer. Somebody would come with me, so-and-so said this about me, or, you know, they're doing this, and I don't like it. I don't think it's godly for them to be involved in this, that, and the other, and, and, and whatever. So I would step into the middle of it. And you know how it always turned out on the other end? With both parties being ticked off at me. It happened over and over again. I can think of a particular example. Somebody came to me that was griping about the practices and some, some rumors that they'd heard about this person, what they had done in the last church they were in, and this, that, and the other. And, and my first uh, question for them is, have you talked to them? 
And when they told me no, I should have said, well, then I'll see you later. But I didn't. I listened. And being a pastor, you know, I'm thinking this is kind of an opportunity because there have been a few people that have shared some things with me about you that maybe you need to hear about. So I did. And what they said to me was, well, that's different. That's different. It's not the same thing. Jesus tells us how to, to end conflict. He tells us how to bring peace. And that is this, is that we are to go alone to those that we know are in sin and have a conversation with them, not with a spirit of self-righteousness, but with a spirit of honesty, confessing to them that I know that I'm not perfect, that I'm a sinner just like you are, but God has convicted me. I needed to come to you and talk with you about this. Because there's not peace in the body. And there needs to be peace in the body. And you're creating conditions where that's just not true. It's not easy to do. Because the first response to that person that you go to. That is sinned and you're aware of it. And you go to them out of a goodness of heart. They're going to think you're coming there for one reason, and that is to judge them. And if you do things wrongly, that's exactly what you are doing. But let me tell you some of the most glorious things I've ever seen happen in the church was to watch people deal with conflict in a manner that when all was said and done, the church was actually strengthened by it. And that love abounded even more from one sinner to another sinner. The Beatitudes, we've been studying these every Tuesday night for the last six or seven weeks. We just did number seven last week. Blessed are the peacemakers. Are you a peacemaker? And I don't know how familiar you are with the Beatitudes, but very often we think that God is just, you know, he's got these eight different things, you're supposed to go through them. God's give you some of those. You know, maybe you're humble and meek and you know, or maybe you're poor in the spirit, or maybe you're you you know, you're merciful. You know, those kinds of things. But you need to understand something. Those Beatitudes describe characteristics that ought to be common to every Christian. In other words, there's a sense in which every Christian ought to be a peacemaker. Those who seek peace. And we decided last week that before you can do that, you have to be at peace yourself. You can't be a peacemaker if you're not at peace yourself. And principally what we're talking about here is to be at peace with God. Don't look at God as your enemy. I know some of you probably do sometimes. God, why do you want me to do that? It's the last thing on the earth I want to do. Don't make me. Please don't. You love me too much to ask me to do that. 
God's called us to a lot of things, but one of those is that we ought to be at the very center of peacemaking. It comes down to this. Are you really at peace with God? Really? Honestly? Are you at peace with God? I hope so. And coming from our dear brother Brian, I know that that's not something he says lightly. That he knows that. He's convicted of it. Why? Because this ensures him he can be. Do you long for peace? Do you want peace? There's only one place to have it. Christ Jesus. Verse 2. He alludes to this. Through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. Remember what grace is? Totally absolutely undeserved unearned favor granted Ephesians chapter 2 for it is by grace you have been saved through faith you understand that grace and faith go hand in hand, that you can't separate the two from one another. Some people try to do that, but you can't because they're, they're just joined at the hip. That where there's grace, there's faith. Where there's faith, there's also grace. If you're saved, you did not earn it. If you're saved, you did not deserve it. If you're saved, you did not merit it. If you're saved, you're not saved because it was owed to you. You're saved for some reason. Because even though you're a dirty, rotten skunk, not really. God has chosen to love you with an endearing and eternal and unfaltering, a constant, consistent love. You believe, you believe, because God has touched you and enabled one who is dead in their trespasses to give up their faith in themselves and to place their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. Hallelujah for faith.
Because that without faith, no one would have been saved. But also, hallelujah, for grace. Because where there's faith, there has to be grace. And where there's grace, there has to be faith. I mean, I don't know about you. I am, I am so glad. I praise God that my standing before him doesn't depend upon me doing this, that, or the other perfectly. I am so tickled to death. I am so happy that he receives me how I am for who I am. And I am thankful as all get out that my salvation does not rest upon my ability to hold on to him. It rests upon his ability to hold on to me. And once he's got a hold of you, he will not let go for anything. Ever. That's his promise to you. That's where peace comes from. Knowing that. I know some of you, you, you've been abandoned in your lifetime, maybe abandoned by your parents, maybe abandoned by a wife or husband, maybe abandoned by your kids, maybe abandoned by... You know, many, most of us know what abandonment means to some degree. But I'm going to tell you something. That is a man thing. That is not a God thing. God doesn't abandon people. That he's made promises to. I mean, is, 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 isn't that a real source of peace? Knowing that. Knowing that even though I'm a dirty, rotten scoundrel some of the time. I've done some bad things even this week and you know, whatever. Just think about when you're driving down the road. How many pure thoughts did you have drive, going through your head as you're driving through heavy traffic? And so on. I mean, isn't it, isn't it comforting to know that God has a hold of me and he will not let me go? I might falter. I, might, I, I am going to falter. I am going to fail. I am going to drift. He's not. He will carry me over the finish line. justification is the basis for having peace with God your sins have been atoned for if that were not true you would still be God's enemy not his child not the one he loves And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope, and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Do you notice there that thread running through there that ties all these things together? Some people think that being a Christian means that God has promised there wouldn't be anything bad thing would ever happen in your life.
what he has promised is this, is even in the midst of the worst things, he will not abandon you. The fact is this, is he promised. He has promised us that we will have tribulation in life. It will come. And he has reasons for it. Understand here in this chain of things, the tribulation, what does it do? It brings about perseverance. It teaches us how to persevere even in the midst of very great trials. If you didn't have tribulation, could, did, would you know how to persevere? Perseverance brings about proven character. Do you need to change? I hope you don't think you're perfect. Because let me tell you, I don't, I don't know some people in this room that, that well, but I know this, that if you think that you're perfect, then you're way off track. You don't know yourself at all. Because that's not how the Bible describes you. The Bible describes you over and over as imperfect. Sometimes we think that God is, and, and, and unfortunately there are Christian churches today that promote this idea that God's just a big sugar daddy in the sky. He's just waiting, he's just sitting up there waiting, sitting around, waiting for us to ask him for this, that, or the other. And as soon as we ask him for it, he gives it to us. Ever hear prosperity doctrine? That's a lie from the pit of hell, it smells like smoke. It is not from the Bible. The Bible promises us, God promises to us through his word, that we will, in fact, have trials and tribulations. And we will not have everything that our little sinful heart desires. But we do know this. That even in the greatest of our trials and tribulations. That God is with us. He will not abandon us. He will carry us through it. And only he can carry us through it. You know what exalt means? means to be exalted in the midst of our tribulations, to be lifted up in the midst of tribulation, to give glory of God to God in the midst of the very biggest trials that we have. It's easy to get angry with God. It is. 
because we know he can fix it all. And sometimes he does and sometimes he doesn't fix it the way we want him to fix it. And we get angry with him because we want our will to be done, not his. You understand that as part of our fallenness, the sin that still lives and breathes within us that encourages us to be self-focused and self-centered and selfish. Verse 5, he talks about hope. Let me ask you something. Where is there hope in this world? I mean, people right now, they're hoping in political parties. They're hoping in the president. They're hoping in this person, that person. Hope, 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 hope. They're putting their hope in all the wrong places. There is only one really solid anchor for you to hope in. That's in him. And I think a lot of people right now, if, they, if they're really honest about the condition of this world, they look around and say, you know what, this situation really looks like it's hopeless. Matter of fact, I would imagine that many of you, maybe some of you are more involved politically and et cetera, you've probably looked around and you, maybe you've concluded this really is hopeless. But let me tell you something. We never have any ground for thinking anything is hopeless as long as God is in the picture and God's always in the picture and he can take what doesn't appear to be possible and make it real. We have hope because God is a God of hope. I would not want to be a believer living in the world today because really, if you're an unbeliever, you don't have any hope in anything. I mean, everything that you put your hope in is just nothing. There's absolutely nothing out there in the world that you could put your hands on to, to, to place your hope in. It is nothing. It's all temporal. It's only here for a little while, and then it's gone. And we're not talking about short-term hope. We're talking about eternal hope. The hope in Christ. Enjoy the love of God. Enjoy the fellowship of God. There really is nothing like being a Christian. You understand that? Nothing. Because ours is a message of grace. It's a message of peace. It is a message of hope. And no one else 